This is David Noonan from NMAS Entertainment, and you're listening to Bow Down to Us. Hello and welcome to Bow Down to Us, the Games Edition, and uh, this is a special edition. We're very happy to have some guests with us today. Back in May, we were fortunate enough to have Senior producer uh, Brian Knox, as well as writer Robin McPherson from En Masse, join us to discuss Terra. Today, we're lucky to have Mr. David Noonan, who's a lead writer for En Masse, as well as Scott Manger and Stacey Jansen, who are team writers for Terra. They're joining us to talk about how much the game has changed since then, how much has been added, and what we can look to expect in the future. So hello and welcome to all of you. Thanks. Great to be here. Hello. Hi. Now, we've got same as usual as well. You heard them earlier, both Joe as well as Vince, regular co-hosts. Now, the first thing I'd like to do is to congratulate you on winning Best of Show at PAX last week. And that must have felt amazing for you guys. Wow, it's the first I've heard of that. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's normal it, for but... us after a show to just go into hibernation for a couple of days because uh, we, we're all gamers as well as exhibitors. So... Uh, you know, the one thing we can sacrifice during the three days of PAX or any other show really is sleep. And so we do that. But no, it's it is a nice uh, it's a nice nod of the uh, tip of the cap to us. Uh, but it also reminds us that uh, we have a lot still to do before the game comes out. Well, the thing, too, is it says a lot about the game. When you're considering who you're up against right now, there's some very tough competition that's coming up. I mean, next year we're looking at the release of Star Wars The Old Republic as well as Guild Wars 2, which won Best of Show at Gamescom this year. So as information is being released about these other games, are you finding it's bringing out your competitive nature, like your A game? Because a little healthy competition is actually productive and it helps motivate a team. Yeah, I think I think it does. It's the nice thing about the MMO market overall is that, um, you know, good games and good competition just may sharpens everybody's games. And... Uh, you know, mostly we're focused on doing our own thing, but it's always nice to uh, see what the other people are doing. And, you know, there's no better opportunity than a big show like PAX to do that. After PAX, how are you guys feeling about the game and where you're at? I mean, was the crowd's reaction something you were expected, better than expected? Well, for me, it was my first show. And it was, I would say the crowd's reaction was, I... It was better than I could have imagined it because, you know, there were people coming up who'd never heard of it and, you know, we'd tell them all about it and they would leave just really excited and but they can't wait to play it. Are you yeah, finding a... One of the, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to ask, is that something that you're finding a lot right now that there's a lot of people that have not heard about it yet and that are, as soon as they see it, quite excited? Or are you seeing more people who've heard about it and are excited? I think we're still to a degree under the radar and we kind of like that. I mean, it's <laughs> like Stacy said, it's awfully fun to just take someone from zero knowledge, just somebody who literally wandered past the booth and turn them into an advocate over the course of about 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, the longer we can do that, the better, uh, that said word is getting out and, you know, we might be flying Napa of earth, but we're not entirely under the radar anymore. Well, something I had people I had to pry away from the kiosk <laughs> bar. <laughs> I had one person beg me to come out to a show on the East Coast so they could keep playing. That's fantastic. That's great. Well, the, see, the thing that I've found with this game is that whenever we are discussing it with our audience or, or anything like that, there are always people who haven't heard about it. But as soon as you start describing some of the key aspects of the game and what 
you guys have been saying it's going to be when it comes out and whatnot. It doesn't take long before you get that inevitable, man, if they can pull that off, it'll be amazing. Really, I think that mimics the experience that each of the three of us had when we got ushered into the office for the very first time and plunked down in front of a computer. And when we got to, you know, somebody just said to us, try it out. And uh, it's it's always easier to work on a game when your own experience mimics that experience of the gamers that you're trying to make the game for in the first place. Have all three of you been on since the start or did you start partway in? I came in about a month after Dave did, but we've all worked together before, so we're uh, we're pretty good as a team. Where did you work together before? Uh, last we were year at we- uh, NCSoft, and then Scott and I have uh, a shared history back in tabletop games. We were with Wizards that- of the Coast for a while. Nice. Nice. Yeah, we're we're all card players here as well. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the writing team then. We'll ask Scott here. How many are you in the team right now? How many? I'm just one. Okay. How big is the team? So apparently we're going to have to be more specific with our question, boys. Uh, fair enough. Uh, we have a team of nine. Uh, Dave, of course, being our uh, our lead writer. The, the story that you see on the screen is Dave's story, assisted by us as we go through it. We have eight in the office and one offsite editor. Nice. And for the most part, has the team been around... Like you said, you came in a month later, but for the most part, has it been the same group throughout or has there been a lot of changes? This team was solidified by April of this year. So when we uh, when we came out and we had that great focus group test, that, that was the team that we have now who worked on that. Nice. And we've only gotten better since then. Well, some of the things that we are seeing lately as you guys have been releasing a lot more information. Yeah, it's quite obvious you guys are really delivering very imaginative, very um, very deep lore. Like it's not just very simple stuff. What we're reading is a, a history. And that's one of the things that I like that I've been reading because instead of just delivering a, this is a photocopy of what is going on now in terms of the world, you're giving us a lot of backstory pages so that the stuff on page one makes sense. There's there's that depth of character, depth of like within the cities, everything. There's an entire history there that you can then appreciate. And even if it's only mentioned in passing in in terms of questing or whatnot, it's still there. The depth is there. One that's of the things we like to say uh, is, go ahead, Dave. That's something that uh, we've been working on uh, throughout. And we, <laughs> one of the things that's really key is my right all the writers on the team are terrific at capturing their moments of insight and their moments of creativity. And we have a, we have a, we have a wiki that is growing like particularly lethal virus strains. Uh, <laughs> we're just because we write down everything and, you know, somebody gets a great idea for why a particular statue is sitting there in a city that gets written down and maybe it'll sit there fallow for a month three months, whatever, but then somebody else is going to pick up on it and use it in a lore piece for the website, or it'll wind up being part of a quest, or we'll use it somewhere. I'm, I'm a firm believer in writers that recycle. Got to use the whole pig. <laughs> <laughs> what has uh, been your favorite moment working with the team so far while on this project? Obviously, you guys have been uh, together for a little while now and done quite a, quite a number of uh, things so far. What, what would you say would mark your favorite so far? That's all Stacey, you, Stacey. you go first. <laughs> <laughs> that no pressure. Wants. Well, it's it's hard to pick one. Um, I know that 
I think PAX was a big thing for me just to see the fans, our community event featured, featured the writers. And that was, that was sort of a big moment to really see, you know, meet a lot of the people that, that we're talking to and that we're really making the game for. Um, as far as just in general, I mean, we have a lot of fun here in the office, but, um, as far as the fans and, and the whole thing, I would say the community event was probably, it's probably been the best moment for me so far. Scott, right. I have daily epiphanies as to plot and characterizations. So I, I just love coming into work every day. I really do. Every day I can, I can think about a problem, solve it, even if it's not an actual problem, if it's a, a challenge to overcome or why a character is acting in a certain way. When I can deliver that answer and give it to the rest of the team to work with, I feel like a, a giant success. And I think for me, I have to pick two moments, uh, which I realize is kind of cheating. Uh, my, you are a cheater. Yeah, my, <laughs> my out of game best moment with Tara has been just the whiteboard sessions with the writers where we're scribbling crazy stuff on the whiteboard and drawing arrows to mark plot lines and, you know, coming up with weird plot twists and characters that have multiple layers to them. That those moments have just been fantastic uh, so far. And my, my in-game moment is really simple. Uh, it's as much as I might like to say that it's the deep immersive story that's going to grab you in Terra. I, I really just the first 20 minutes I played the game when my brains were kind of leaking out my ears because the action part of it was so different than what I'm used to from other MMOs. That really is was just a magical moment for me when I had to lead my targets because they were moving laterally and you know moments like that i mean it was it was kind of hard to be honest but it was sort of a good hard so i kind of want to cheat now too since dave <laughs> <Go right on. laughs> i do not plan on cheating in anywhere <laughs> dave mentioned uh the talk of in-game stuff reminded me of something else that that was really amazing to me which was um I don't want to get into too many specifics about it, but there was there was one creature in the starting area that, uh, <laughs> yeah, Scott, Sorry, Scott just, knows what I'm thinking you're of. Getting ahead of Wayne Cackle, and I don't want to give too much away, but it was uh, the first time the first time I went through on my on my first warrior. I was just sort of you know getting a getting a feel for, for the game for the class and everything like that. And it wasn't until the second time through on my second character that I really saw this creature and and how incredibly wrong and and horrible it is. And um, that was actually a really good moment because uh, I've never seen a monster quite like it, or I hadn't until then. Um, and it was kind of really creepy but amazing okay you can't leave us hanging with that now you gotta tell us what <laughs> it is to say that, uh, the creature has hands and head hands and a head where there should be no hands and a head ah That's a true story. gotcha <laughs> wow it, who came it, it up with that i wish it had been me but it wasn't me <laughs> one of our crew was um at your event during PAX. Um, her name is Renee Thrasher, but she may very well have introduced herself as Tart Darling. And she got to listen to you guys talking about your writing duties and how you split up the writing duties in terms of a race per writer. Now, writers have a very unique style and voice. So was this a reason why you decided to go this route to ensure that each race has a very different feel to it? 
Here comes I the think dance. so. It's the 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 vo- race, racial voice is really important to us, uh, and the the notion of having one writer shepherd that race's unique voice is key, just for consistency's sake. But we all have to be everyone on the team has to be able to write in every voice. So it's it's more of a shepherding process rather than somebody, you know, one writer is writing all the Amani dialogue or all the elf dialogue or all the human dialogue. But I would assume that it does create amongst those writers then, and, and Scott and uh, Stacy, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it would create a sense of pride and ownership for the writer who is in charge for the most part of creating for that one specific race, that they have this kinship with what they're doing for that race. If, if I may, uh, I have an allegory for you. Okay. Uh, oh. another, another group that I worked with, another game, I was responsible for the look and feel of a certain character type. And uh, it was really cool to go through. I realized how that character had to talk. And I started writing it that way. And as the game progressed, I saw that I was right in my interpretation because some of the, the text I was getting for that type of character all the way through was matching what I had thought it to be. And then I handed it off and went to work on something else. And a month or two later, I came back to that part of the project and I went and I looked at the characters and they were still all talking the same way. And that was a that was a pretty good feeling inside. Mm-hmm. And Stacy? Well, I, um, I came a little bit after Scott. So I ended up not actually getting a race, but I do have a class. And I do have to say, I, I feel very, I feel very not protective. I need a different word, but... I do feel some sort of kinship with the warrior class, which is which is mine. And is it precious to you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you guard it from everybody else? <laughs> I don't. I don't quite guard it, but uh, I do kind of feel feel very close can't, to it. You guys can't see her blushing from here, so just imagine. It. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott, which race are you working on? I am the guy who doesn't like pronouns, so you will find my work on the high elves. Nice, nice. Hmm. Actually, some of the questions I have for later on are about those, or comments, I should say. And it, they're, um, they're all positive, actually. Now, in terms of, again, splitting up the races per writers and all that, then do you also find that this poses any challenges in terms of continuity, not within the races assigned to each specific, rather, but rather than in the story as a whole? It, it so far not because mostly because of the groundwork we set early on. I mean, before we started writing quests and writing dialogue, we spent a lot of time going over the racial voices and everybody heard different takes on each race's voice before we decided on the ones we liked best. And even beyond voice, you know, sort of a racial personality and racial stereotyping, if you will. So because we did so much groundwork before we started writing actual quests, that made things a lot smoother when it came time to, you know, get into a zone and say, okay, this elf is sending you on a mission. Here's what that elf sounds like. And so on. Uh, it's that groundwork that made all the difference. All right. Well, with so with each writer being assigned to their own race, have has there been any story ideas that have come up that you just felt was better suited or even more interesting for a different race? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm of some in, in not necessarily entire plots, but there have certainly been moments where we've said. 
you know, this NPC seems like sort of a shady character, kind of devil may care. Let's make it a Kastanic. And so more and not so much the overall plots, because a lot of times we will create plots before we populate them with NPCs. But it certainly makes that population effort easier when we have a strong sense of what each race acts and sounds like. Well, Scott, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here since you have claimed that you are the high elf uh, writer. And Hit me. other than your race, I'm going to put a twist on this. What is your favorite story wise? All right, I'm going to ask you to restate that question a different way. I think he okay. means your favorite other race. Yes. Other than the high other elves, elves, which one are so, you enjoying the most from the story perspective? Ah, uh, story, a story. I'm. It's, uh, it's going to sound like a cop-out, but I just love to write characters, no matter what race they are. The race of a character in a story is like clothes more than anything else. But it's not just that elves aren't humans of funny clothes. El- that, that skin they wear goes all the way through their core. So when you tell a story and you need to have an Amon be the central part of that story, you're telling an Amon story. When you're telling a human story, you're telling a human story as you go through. I just love to write. And so when I can come up with a character who can really deliver some emotional impact to someone to whom a reader or player, in this case, can resonate, that's a success for me. That's what I like doing. That is quite possibly the best answer we've ever had. <laughs> well, see, just to let you guys know, um, the, the, the show originally started with us for the podcasters because we're writers ourselves as well. And we used to cover a lot more, which we still do in another podcast, uh, story-driven games. And so whenever we get people like yourselves on who are quite obviously writers and who can appreciate um, the joys and the beauty of writing and writing for characters and having those characters in your mind for so long that you know them inside and out and whatnot, it really feels great. So then it makes us that much more excited for the final product. Yeah, I, I agree totally. It's when I think of my favorite characters in Terra, they, I'm thinking of them in terms of character first and then the race is an aspect of that. But it's it, like Scott said, it's only one aspect of that. And when I do like specific ra- sort of more racial, uh, a more racial take on characters, it's usually not for how they sound in terms of their dialogue, but in terms of what they're doing. Uh, for example, you know, I, I one of my favorite uh, quests are ones that involve the Papori, our nature spirits. And it's not because the Papori voice is particularly amazing, although it's kind of fun to write. It's it's mostly because there's an element of mischief in a lot of Papori <laughs> areas and i just you know i like hoodwink and the i like hoodwink and the player when i get a chance now we just found out you were saying well we already knew that there was a writer per race i wasn't quite aware that there was a writer per uh class as well when it comes to things like your shared quests and your instances and whatnot do you have writers specifically for those or at that point are you all getting together at the whiteboard i'd say that's more a whiteboard thing as far as the classes it's it's more to so that someone is an expert for example or rather, for example, if you wanted to know something about the warrior, um, you know, how's the warrior in, is, is it faster or is it more powerful? Or that would be the silly question, but that would be um, a really basic question. And that's something that you would come to me for. If I wanted to know about the lancer or about the sorcerer, you know, I would go to the, the expert in that class to, to find out sort of how the class works specifically. Or if I want to know something really specific about a class. 
Are there that many instances where the quest lines are class specific? There's a there's an element that all quests are class specific, just like they're all race specific. You can take uh, if the person giving you a quest happens to be a human warrior, that person is talking to you as a human warrior. So he's got a human aspect to his personality, a warrior aspect to his personality, and then he's got a, the part where he needs help all the way through that. So all the dialogue that you're going to get from that guy is colored by his particular situation as you go through it. If you happen to be a berserker, that's pretty awesome that the human berserker is giving you a task. But there are quests certainly that are better for berserkers. There are quests that uh, berserkers will have a better chance of doing. But as a whole, every quest works for everyone. Uh, while I was reading through the wonderful bestiary you guys have on the website there, even though it's only two races, you have this phenomenal story set up for, and I apologize, I'm forgetting the name, the Treant race. And that really got me to thinking of how the workload is divided, not just amongst the playable races like the Abani and the Papori, but also those NPC races like the the Orcs and, uh, again, the Treant type characters. Is there a division of labor there as well? Well, I'm glad you liked what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> The division of labor there is uh, it's less organized and it's intentionally less organized uh, for starters because the game's not done yet. And there are monsters that we have NPCs that we have not written much for yet. And so we haven't divided those out to the degree that we've divided out the playable races. There's also a pragmatic aspect in that the treants and the orcans and the other mobs in the game just don't talk as much. They don't have as many speaking lines. So they require, uh, as writers, we write about, we write about them a whole lot, but they get, they have fewer lines on the dialogue sheet than, uh, than a regular NPC would. See, I love how we're treated to different races than we're used to seeing in, in games as well with Terra, which works well in terms of a, a dreamt up world. And even those races, which are your standard fare, like say the elves, have a very unique background in lore. Now, did you guys have any say in terms of the races that were going to be in there, or was that already all done by Blue Hole? That was done by Blue Hole uh, before any of us started. Uh, now, that said, they uh, they hadn't given a lot of attention yet to the nature of the personality of each race and how they interacted with the world. Often in MMOs, the first thing you get need to get nailed down is the art because it just takes so long. And so that's what uh, Blue Hole had done, I think, a terrific job of. And it makes our job easier is we have all these crazy mobs to write about. But a lot of the questions of how the world works and how the races interact with each other, uh, that fell to us, uh, you know, when we started late last year. So basically they just gave you the template of what was going to be in there. And then from there, it's your job to flush it out and to give everybody essentially life. That's, that's it. Although you, the folks in, at Blue Hole are awfully creative too. And they certainly, it wasn't a blank slate. They had some terrific ideas and we, mostly what we did was tip their ideas and run with them and we twisted them quite a bit. <laughs> But they're still pointing in more or less the same original direction. Yeah, I go daily back to the original documents that uh, the designers put forth to, to look for inspiration, to to see what I've missed. You know, what wasn't I telling in this story that I could tell in another one? Well, uh, a little while ago, we heard about a shift in the design decision that 
possibly not every race was going to be able to play as every class. So from the writing perspective, have you taken any steps in the lore to really explain why possibly a certain race might not be able to be that specific class? We haven't yet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, we have not yet because that is, like I said, the game's not done yet. And that's something that is not a settled issue yet. Uh, it's we're still working on it. And once we know, then, you know, either way, it's we, we have some writing ahead of us. But is this because of a development standpoint where in you're being told that it's not going to happen or is it that you're trying to make it work story wise? I think we we are pretty. I won't say we're ambivalent, but we can, I think we can see clever ways to write it each way. And so at this point, it is a gameplay and a balancing act uh, that uh, Blue Hole is up to. And so we're going to let them do that. Uh, and we sort of have good plans in, in either case. That said, the overall theme of Terra, I think, is one of unity. I mean, it's a it's a single faction game. And the idea is that the races are coming together because the world is just so darn dangerous. And that is something that we can take and run with regardless of the specifics of race class combos. So uh, we're going to shift over here to maybe the enemy side of things. And I've been seeing a little bit more here and there about the race uh, of the Argons. Their their particular attack against the Imani is something that's interesting to me. So uh, I know you guys don't want to give too much away, but uh, from what we've seen so far, the Argons seem to be the primary antagonists in Terra. Is that true or are they just really the biggest one we've seen yet? They certainly are large. (laughs) (laughs) I... I think that insofar as the game has a primary antagonist, uh, the the Argons are certainly uh, at the top of that table. Uh, that said, they are something you don't experience early in the game. Uh, they be, they're they're kind of our big bad, and so basically in the latter half of the game, you'll see Argons a fair amount, but uh, you mostly see the ripples uh, of their of their invasion early on. And uh, then you learn more about them and more about them still. And then the whole thing ends with a lot of very Argon specific content as you approach the level cap. I was reading about um, Elamanthia, the, the Desert Jewel, just uh, the other day, which talks about not just the this, this city, but also the high elves in the history. And I got to say, Scott, I was thoroughly engaged by it. I mean, the, you've got the the same old where they're mysterious and closed off elves, as you'd come to expect. But there's a reason for it. And you realize, as you do with real people in, in real life that are closed off, that it's a behavior that's more about a protective mechanism because of what they've been through. And the history that you created was rich enough that, again, you've got such a a background of lore for just that one race and then all the intricate um, events that have happened throughout the years to make them what they are now. When you were writing it, was there an expectation to go back a certain amount of years, a certain amount of generations or whatever? How far back are you expected to go for, I mean, for the lore of each race? Well, uh, Dave Noonan wants me to go back 15 minutes. <laughs> when we write a story it needs to be relevant to the player so i can't guarantee that the player has read everything i've written online or has done his homeworks so to speak about how an elf is how an elf talks all the way through that so the story you provide that way needs to resonate with the person who's reading it all the way through 
I mentioned in a lot of the elf stuff that we've done up there that they've been honed by 3,000 years of war. Well, everyone has been honed by 3,000 years of war on Terra, in the, in the game of Terra. just happens that the elves are really, really good at it, and they don't forget a lot of things. I, uh, I do a lot of work with some of the, the Berserker class as well, and uh, the Berserker school seems like it's very unfocused, and the characters are just swinging axes at one another. But if those axe attacks mean something, if every single one of them is an ancient tradition that's been adapted and used in a variety of warfare, you know, just swinging your axe becomes an act of storytelling. And you try to approach every story that way. Just throwing as much lore as you feel as it needs to have, but it's not necessary to have read the lore to appreciate the story. And what I'm realizing, too, is that a lot is being written not just about the races, but also about the cities. Um, are each of the writers also responsible for creating like the rich histories for the land as well? Because it appears that there's just as much lore and life to the landscape as there is to its people. I'm a big fan of oblique storytelling, where you're not telling a story by starting it with Once Upon a Time, but just immersing people in a story-rich environment and letting them piece together the story themselves, you know, as they have time and, you know, hopefully in a way that's not interruptive to gameplay. And the cities and more broadly, the terrain of the game is a big way we do that. Uh, that's something that we very much do collectively. Uh, when we, you know, and we, I think we're furthest along with Velika, which is historically the human city, because we writers have had access to it for the longest, for the longest time we, you know, Alamanthea was not accessible and was not populated and nor was Kayator, the Amani city. Uh, but we're getting, now we've, you know, as builds advance, as we get, you know, more of the game done now, once we can visit these cities and wander around in them and meet the people there, you know, even if only by teleporting there, uh, we get a chance to really grok the city better. And, uh, that helps us write it certainly. See, it's funny you mentioned Velika because that's actually one of the cities that I was very impressed with as well. Um, the racial struggles that are in there, which mirror a lot of what we see around the world in different cities. And the the, the notion of this, I have, I, I am a child of ruined speech reference, which made me very much think of I have a dream. So it's something that it appears as though there are references that are being made to what is actually going on in our world so that people can then feel more related to that, to this world that is just a dreamt up world. Is that on purpose? It's absolutely on purpose. Uh, I, I don't like my video games to be preachy just as I don't like my movies or my books to be overly preachy. But that said that in Terra, as a player, you are part of a young generation that sees unity as a good thing and, in fact, a necessary thing to each individual race's survival. But the Valkyan Federation, you know, the, the good guy nation that comprises the six races, that is a fairly recent development. It's only about 30 years old in game time. So there's absolutely an old guard of humans that, you know, don't want to unite and Papori that don't want to unite. And you face the Argons, sure, but you also face the old guard of the other races and the old guard of your own race that is not convinced that the, our, our fictional racial unity is a good thing. And there's, you know, obviously you can draw some parallels to the real world there. And in talking about the world again, in 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 the the fact that it's this dreamed up world, what's been created here is 
a writer's dream in my opinion, basically. Um, at least that's how I see it. Whenever I think about the possibilities that lie within Terra, I mean, as a writer, I look at the concept you've created and see infinite possibilities in terms of quest lines, expansions, and you name it, by sheer virtue of the fact that everything is dreamt up, so long as there's a certain degree of continuity that remains, you can do pretty much anything with the IP. I mean, case in point, there's a mention of the island that just rose from the sea, and no one gives it a second thought. I mean, (laughs) sure, they say that they're keeping an eye on it, but I'm guessing there's not going to be an NPC anywhere saying, what the hell's going on? There's an island that just cropped out of nowhere. This isn't lost. Oh, we've actually got a few of those. Oh, really? Okay, because (laughs) it is something that I find with that world because of the fact that it is this dreamt up world. Do you guys feel that when you're thinking about the future of what you can do with the IP, not just of now, but the future, are you actually thinking in terms of we can do damn near anything with this? What about you, Stacey? Well, okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to get the tail end of that question one more time. It, because of the, the the way that the world has been created in terms of having been dreamt up, do you find that you have a lot more freedom in terms of what you can do in the future with different quest lines, different even full-blown expansions, because you have the liberty to create damn near anything for that world? Sure. So I guess my question is, when you say dreamt up, do you mean that we the writers are you, are you actually talking about the fact that the game is a dream like the world is the a dream. game the the actual game not you guys okay so i i would say it is nice to know that we as you say we can have them have the the titans just dream up whatever we want but that's that's almost that's kind of cheating and in any story that that's kind of cheating if you just well it, we can make up whatever we want i mean as it is the island itself um the Island of Dawn that just rose up, as you say, in the middle of the sea, that is a big deal. People aren't just, oh, well, so there's that. It's it's a big deal, and people are, people are confused by it. People are, are wondering about it. If we were to, for example, something else were to just rise up out of, let's say, out of the middle of a rune, you know, people would wonder because the world itself, the, the two continents are the titans. So everything on the world is a dream yes but but if the i'm i'm losing my sentence but <laughs> <laughs> i think one of the things that um, that just to play off what stacy's saying is that it's it is the the fact that it it is a dreamed world is really useful uh we can it's easy to justify the existence of all these strange, cool-looking creatures, but you can't go to that well as an explanation for things too often um, because the world needs to make a certain amount of internal sense for for our fictional characters within it to feel that, that emotion and that drama. If everything is just random dreams popping up, here and there there's not much drama because everything is this crazy random dream and exactly and that comes back to cheating so it we can't get too crazy but we can go to that well a certain number of times and that's useful I don't think that I and, and perhaps I worded it wrong initially I don't think that it's cheating and I don't think that it's um that it's anything has any negative connotations in any way shape or form I think that the fact that it is dreamt up so long as again as I was saying that that you it still fits within that world. There's there's just a lot more possibilities than there would sure. be in an established world. Uh, I mean, we can look at a lot of other games and there's a lot of restrictions based simply by virtue of the fact that 
there's already established an established world and established population and everything like that. Whereas with this, so long as it's not going too far out of reach for people to 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 not be able to believe in it, um, there's so much more that you can do. Oh sure, and just to clarify, when I when I'm saying cheating, I'm I was kind of trying to agree with Dave there that. It's not cheating to just do something that fits and that, you know, can be explained. But like Dave was saying, to go to that well too many times to just say, you know, something happened and oh, it's because it's a dream, you know, every single time. If you overuse it, then it's then I would think of it as cheating is oh, of course. just to clarify. Yeah, no, of course. I don't mean anything we do is cheating. <laughs> If, if I may, if you if you look at the characters out there, and most of the people you will interact with in the game are soldiers like your character, they're uh, they're very cognizant of what happens when you die, especially when you go out on the battlefield, you fight a war, and you don't come back. And so, dream or not, everyone that you're adventuring with, as I like to think of it, they this is reality. This is not going to end anytime soon. At least nobody hopes it will. So they're uh, they're in the moment as much as possible. And so the stories have to have that same sense of urgency. What you're doing is important because it has to be done, not because this is the most interesting part of the dream before I wake up. Okay, actually, since you brought and that up. Oh, sorry, go characters ahead. characters aren't the people who are dreaming. That's the most important thing to remember there. Yeah, yeah. Well, since you brought up death, actually, we had a listener who had a question that they were hoping I was going to ask. Um, and it is about death. And if, if death then is something that is important and has a consequence, how have you guys set it up in terms of any kind of death penalty for the actual player? And David, I'll get you to answer that. What we're, thi- what we're thinking about right now uh, is the notion that, I, I mean, realistically, PCs come back from the dead all the time uh, in our game as well as you know most MMOs, and NPCs as a rule do not. Uh, the way that one of the ways we're thinking about that is that by very by the very acts of heroism that make them players, uh, that makes them inherently a more integral part of the dream and a more interesting part of the dream. So. When that resurrection spell comes along and brings you and your buddies back from the dead after a wipe, that is a reflection of the fact that you're a particularly interesting part of the dream. And But that is not a promise that you will always be <laughs> uh, an interesting part of the dream. And the, the NPCs don't know that they're not an interesting part of the dream. Um, so it's a bit of a fig leaf, but it, I think it's more of a fig leaf than a traditional MMO has. Okay, let's talk about the future of Terra for just a little bit now. One of the things that concerns us with what is being done right now with Unmasked is the rewriting of so much of the rewriting for the Western audience. It's a double-edged sword because we're thrilled that you guys are going to such great lengths for us. However, a little bit frightened in terms of what will happen once you guys have moved on to another project. Like Bluehole may very well continue to support this game for the Eastern audiences for a long time. However, what's Almas's commitment right now to the game to bring in new content for Terra um, and for how long? I'd say that, you know, in general terms, we are as committed as Bluehole is. And we are also not just writing for the Western audience that that our team of writers has written quests that will appear in the Korean version of the game. The writers over in Korea have written quests that will appear in the Western version of the game. And if we all do our jobs right, you'll never know which are which. 
Nice. Because that's something with the with any MMO where in once the the essentially the quest lines dry up, then the game tends to as well. It's it's we're we're really hoping like we're seeing how much effort is right now being put into the game to create such a wealth of of um, of quest lines and whatnot for the players to experience. I was just watching um an interview that uh, Jason actually gave at, I believe it was Gamescom, and he was talking about how there's this conception, misconception by people that because it's a Korean MMO, it's just going to be a grind fest, and having to continually explain that, no, it's not. There's a lot of quests. However, those quests will dry up within a certain amount of time, and typically players go through that pretty fast. And so we're seeing how much work is being done just for that, and we're wondering, okay, well, what's going to be then the support for over the years? Are you actually planning ahead for expansion packs and things like that? Can I ask you a question? Knock yourself up. Who says our quests are going to dry up? I didn't say I'm asking. What I'm uh, Sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Quests do dry out over time simply because if you've done them enough times, then the world becomes stale. So you insert content to generate interest then in your game. Does that answer the question? Sort of, but I, let I me love put it- playing our quests. I mean, I, I play other MMOs as well, and even stuff that I've played a dozen times at or two dozen times, I still play. True. You know, I, I love going through certain areas, and if I go to them more than once, it's not out of necessity. It's because I've made a choice. I just enjoy that area. Yeah. I love the starting area for our game. I play the Alan Dawn all the time. But if you have a game we're in, and that may be very well, may be great for you. Um, however, there's a large population of, of gamers who, once they have done a content a certain amount of time, and everybody has a different threshold for what that certain amount of time may be it then gets to be just the same old same old and you're doing it just a level i mean we could use wow as a perfect example for that we're in so many people now don't even bother reading the starter quest they just take them and know what has to be done and they're not enjoying the quest lines they're just leveling but because so much content has been added over the years with that game it's been able to maintain a large audience so if what i'm saying is that is the same expected for terra wherein you'll continue to insert content throughout over the years so that people still continue to want to keep doing all of this new stuff and stay in that world i can certainly speak broadly but necessarily vaguely to the notion of future content uh we we have big plans uh and you know i can't announce dates or you know the the extent of our plans but suffice it to say that uh that's the number one item on the agenda for my next trip to korea is planning out storylines for future content and uh and you know scott will be right at my shoulder when that happens and uh you know again that's going to be a lot of whiteboards and a lot of crazy colors and arrows and things but we do you know we do realize that uh terra needs to be a living breathing game one of our producers is fond of saying that mmos don't have don't have release dates. They have launch dates. And uh, the the difference is that a launch is really just the start of the journey. And our plans are to be really pretty aggressive in terms of future content. Nice. Very nice. Good to hear. Actually, a little off topic now. You've created such a, a rich lore and you're saying you have this monstrous wiki. 
Are you planning on doing any um, book tie-ins? That's becoming something that's very popular right now with games. I mean, you're seeing Guild Wars has their series that's bridging the gap between the two games. Um, the Old Republic is doing one. I mean, hell, there's an Alan Wake novel. Is that something you guys are considering? I would love to write a book with Dave. We've chatted about it <laughs> off the cuff here and there. But uh, where are we given the opportunity? I think Dave and I have got a great story to tell in novel format. Nice. And more broadly, uh, like you said, the wiki is certainly fertile ground for all sorts of ancillary content. Uh, That said, I like to keep the writers so busy doing (laughs) the actual game at this point that uh, they have very little other time. But that's something that as we get closer to launch, we'll take a lot. We'll we'll start looking at that a lot more seriously. Well, it also generates a lot of interest in the game as well, I find. Yeah, I mean, it's I hate to use the synergy buzzword, but in this case, I think it really applies. You know, you read a book, it gets you more excited about the game. You play the game, it gets you more excited about the book. And especially with an original IP like Terra, it's a world that has some significant differences than traditional swords and sorcery fantasy. I think that getting to explore that world in all kinds of different ways Sounds like a lot of fun. And we're like, we're even seeing a lot of tie-ins for even in, in comic book format as well, say with the Dragon Age, uh, Mass Effect, things like that. That'd be something that I could easily see this being done in that format as well, which wouldn't take as much time as say a novel, but would hopefully generate a lot of interest as well. Totally agreed. Can't wait for that Terra comic book. But, uh, <laughs> uh, David, I, this the, my next question actually ties together a lot of things you, you've already spoken about uh, with your wiki. And uh, I'm gl- very glad to hear that you're actually going over to Korea to to work with the team over there, because it, it seems to me like you guys have all these great ideas. And just by nature of the fact that the game is still in design there may not necessarily be the mechanic to introduce a particular story you want to say like you have a great story you want to tell but uh, there's really nowhere in the quest system to introduce it so exactly how much input do you guys have with blue hole to introduce say that quest line that you would like to tell the story that you have i think uh, you you use the right word there input uh, we have input uh and Blue Hole is keen to have Terra be a success, you know, both domestically for them and in North America as well. And, you know, globally, they the intent from day one was that this would be a global game Uh, myself. And I think by extension, all of our writers on both sides of the Pacific think that good storytelling is universal and we can tell great stories across different cultures. Uh, So as a practical matter, when we go over there, we suggest all sorts of things and uh, they run with most of it and they sometimes tell me wait for the expansion or <laughs> we'll see what we can do about that and as the, th- the crazy thing about an MMO is that it's all every part is a moving part and they all touch each other so after a while it gets to be a bit of a comparative advantage argument uh, you know do we want to spend the development time doing this or would we rather spend the development time doing that and I think all of us are cognizant of the fact that you know unlike our characters we have to live in the real world that way but overall I've been really pleased and just super impressed with the degree of collaboration we've had with uh, our counterparts on the other side of the Pacific. Other than the world itself, which uh, I think we've already established is pretty much anybody with a creative touches wet dream here, uh, is there anything that you're particularly proud of the writing team creating, something that you've created that just made you happy and beam with pride? Yeah, Dave. With- 
We'll start, we'll start with we'll start, we'll start with Dave. Well, everything the everything my writers write is just a ray of sunshine in my otherwise depressing life. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure your kids would be happy us. to hear that. <laughs> no, that, that, no, I have to keep you humble. So uh, the <laughs> I think one of the things that the thing that comes to mind uh, is a very simple, almost prosaic thing, but it's something that makes a big deal difference to me when I play the game, and that is the names of the attacks and the powers in Terra. That's something that uh, the writers worked very hard on, and it was a key thing that where each class's shepherd, really, you see their creative hand at work. And one of the things I'm pleased with is that not only do the names of each attack make sense, but especially when you talk about the magic using classes, there's a lot of lore embedded in the names, in just the names of the attacks. And uh, that just, I'm tickled pink whenever I see, you know, Zenobia's gift as uh, the name of a buff. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know who Zenobia is. And that makes sense. Always good to hear. It's good to hear that there's there's pride in the work, so to speak, and that, you know, so much thought's been put into it. How about the rest of you guys? Either of you? Something you're particularly fond of? I'm thinking about what I'm actually allowed to say at this point. <laughs> Anything you want. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Feel free. I I just uh, finished a, a zone refinement. I'm not going to even call it a rewrite. In fact, it's not a term we use a lot around here, rewrite. We write. Or we, we localize. We take a story that exists and we make it more relevant all the way through. So I just finished a, an area with a bunch of threading plots that I'm particularly pleased with that I can't actually tell you about. But uh, it, it's, it's pretty good. And I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. And I'd concur with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so along the same vein there, what are you looking forward to players experiencing the most when the game goes live or uh, even just into open beta that you that either wasn't shown at PAX or, you know, hasn't really been been talked about yet um, that you're allowed to talk about, obviously. Um, any events or story points you think will knock players for a loop that you can share with us? Anything like that? I think it's a I think almost every MMO has some sort of pirate themed area, but I'm really looking forward to uh, players getting a look at uh, our pirate grotto. Uh, it's and mostly the the story involved is pretty good, but really it's it's the visuals uh, that that really sell it. And I'm just I can't wait to go in there with a full party, you know, on a real server myself. It's I just I just love that. Love that zone to death. Are there, is there a ninja area? You can't have a pirate area without the ninja. And just to be clear, the ninja has to be way cooler. And all the ninjas should be Did you just say ninjas are cooler? I said, yeah, if you're going to have a ninja area in there, it better be cooler than the pirate one. Okay, we're going to have to have it out after the interview. Carry on. That's all I'm good. I stand by what I say. That's your choice. <laughs> the tricky part the as a writer pirate is if over there a ninja area, we wouldn't know how to teleport to it yet. <laughs> well, it'd be cloaked. Only cool or people could, could get to have, it. You could already have been in the ninja area and not known it. You'd never know. Very true. Very also true. true. So talking about the writing and the storytelling, we were talking about how much care is going down into the individual classes as well as just the races. 
what really is the player's motivation in the world? What makes them want to go out and be heroes as opposed to just defend what they have? Is there a certain event or is there a certain cultural thing for each race? Uh, what really pushes them out into the world? I have an answer, but it's Dave's question to answer. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> you volunteered. This, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the characters okay. are volunteers. They are they are a specific type of person who wants to serve. They want to work for the greater good. And it's a it's a nifty conceit. One of the things that really attracts me to this project is that everyone that you're adventuring with, everyone you've got going on, they've got a shared history. And it doesn't matter if you're a Papori or an elf or an Amon. What you are is somebody who cares about the people around them. That's why one of the reasons why teaming in this in this game is so important because you're working together. There's great themes of unity everywhere. The Federation itself is 35 years old, but it's a fusion of six very individualistic, very ancient cultures. And you're, you're the ultimate expression. We talked about the new generation coming through. Well, that's, that's who you are. You are the one telling this amazing story. Are there any options throughout for those players who um, would like to choose otherwise at any point? Any morality choices that if a person chooses differently, they'll be presented with a different quest line? Are you talking about our secret ninja death training camp? <laughs> he confirmed it! You heard it here first, people. It's been confirmed. Because ninjas do not exist. They should be in there is all I'm saying. But no, in a lot of the games that we're seeing now... Um, there's a lot more being done towards allowing people to have a choice in terms of the path that they want to take. Are we being guided a lot more in Terra or are there choices? I think there is, there's a certain amount of moral and ethical choice built into the game, but it's not heavy handed. And that's part of the, the overall design aesthetic uh, in terms of the story aesthetic is that it's not uh, a really heavily branched morality play. It's not the sort of, you know, kill your own dad or send a kitten to college kind of good or evil kind of thing. It's it's much more nuanced. And and that's and I think um, as a writer, I certainly prefer it that way. That, that analogy says a lot about you, actually. Um, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you guys can share about northern Iran? Because right now it's this big open blank space on your map. I'd like to know a little something about it, as I'm sure our audience would like to. I can, uh, I can give you exactly three words. Here be dragons. Really now? Yeah. So is this going to be a higher level area? Here be dragons. Uh, one would assume that's a yes. <laughs> Have you guys written any world events, uh, whether it's holidays or things like that? Ninja Day. Whoa. Ninja Day. Make Every that day happen. Is ninja Day. Oh, come on. Give us a Ninja Day. That would be awesome. But have you guys written any of those in yet? Have we written not anything yet, but uh, the, the writer, I'm not sure Stacy and Scott know this, but uh, not yet, but it's on the writing schedule. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the political system in the game, if you don't mind. Um, we really haven't gotten that much information about this yet, and not that much in terms of, for some of us, a reason why it's something that I'm, I should be dying to play. Um, David, I'll let you, like, what's your selling point for the political system right now? Well, to be blunt, I don't have one yet because the political system isn't done yet. Uh, and it's something that Stacy and Scott and I are still we have 
you know, we've seen the design documents and we have a general notion of the direction, but there's enough branching there and enough possibilities that we're not done. It's the thing that's keeping us awake at night still. And uh, when we get closer to launch, we'll talk a lot about more because if, if it comes to fruition in any shape, way, or form like what I've seen, it's going to be pretty cool endgame content. But we're not really ready to talk about it because it could go a couple of different ways. But how much of Endgame is going to be the political system? Are there going to be your traditional instant instances, Endgame instances that you could do or zones or things like that? Or is the majority of it going to be the political system? Like I said, we're still working on Endgame stuff, but we certainly understand that I think particularly in the West, there's a real desire for variety at the Endgame. And we certainly don't want to set up a system where all of a sudden you hit level 60 and there's either nothing to do or just one kind of thing to do. So our intent is to provide variety, but like I said, we have a lot of work ahead of us still. Well, actually, that's good to hear because that's something that even though not that much has been discussed, the the hints of it are something that, say, myself, I know that a lot of other people would be interested, but myself, a, a political system is not something that would drive me to play a game kind of thing. Whereas any kind of end game that would include further progression of through quests or whatnot, even though you're not getting experience, you're still enjoying the lore of the world. That, to me, is far more important. Yeah, whatever we, whatever shape or form the various endgame activities take, our intent is that they're really tightly integrated with the overall story of the game. And in fact, that's another thing uh, that we'll be talking about a lot uh, on our next trip across the ocean. Well, uh, um, wait, wait, I have to talk to you on the plane? (laughs) (laughs) No, on the way over, sleep, dude, sleep. Uh <laughs> well, I, I kind of on the topic of Endgame here a little bit, and I know that a lot of it you said is in flux. It's still being talked about, but from a writing standpoint, most of the games out now, or games that are coming out now or soon, have a major villain or faction leader scripted as the end of current content. We've seen this pretty much echoed in every other MMO out there right now. Have you guys gone down a similar route where there's like a main guy controlling the the sort of you know, chaos that's ensuing that the players are fighting against, or is it more of an entire faction in? I think it's turtles all the way down. Uh, <laughs> that That is to say that at Endgame, there's, you know, you will certainly have the sort of epic battle that really you deserve by the point time you get to level 60. But that said, there's there's somebody behind that curtain, and there's somebody behind the curtain behind that curtain, and there's you won't just fight that last fight and then clap your clap the dust off your hands and say, well, you know, all done. Let's let's all make alts. Uh, there's there will be certainly uh, there will certainly be opponents left unresolved uh, when you're at level 60 and uh, all kinds of you know, the world will not be a shiny, happy place despite your best efforts. Okay, and so is it more going to be like an intrigue type of plot storyline maybe that you guys are looking at or considering, or is it just going to be pretty much puppets of puppets of puppets of puppets? Is there going to be a little more, is it going to be something that may be a little more political? Can you throw us a bone here maybe? Anything like that? <laughs> well, there's these four ninja clans. <laughs> it keeps sounding better every time you say it. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's right. We really haven't uh, put anything on paper. Uh, we're really tossing things around up in the air. 
I mean, I, we would love to give you our conjecture, but we just can't do it. It's not fair to either us or to you or to our listeners today to, to say something and then have to come back and say something else. Fair That's enough. fair. So in, in that case, then, since we can talk about stuff that's already been done, already put in there, is there anything right now that you wanted to change story-wise or just plot-wise or any sort of creation-wise, but haven't been able to either because it's already implemented and you've been pushed on to other things, uh, just basically running out of time, or just because it would throw everything else out of whack? Nothing comes to mind for me, but I sort of have a privileged position of being able to, you know, pull rank every once in a while and, you know, get my way, uh, or I throw up little hissy fits like a, you know, nine-year-old girl, but, uh, (laughs) so I don't, but, uh, you know, Stacey or Scott might have. I've been amazingly happy with, uh, the things that I've written for the game and I've seen come to fruition. I, I have no regrets and I, I doubt anyone on our team would really come forward and say, gosh, I really wish I, I could have, you know, flown into the sky wearing a red cape. Right. I would agree with both of them. Although that would be awesome. <laughs> I agree with that too. You know what? That you know, says actually, a lot there, about the team. one thing that I can think of. Uh, and it's, I think all, all of us on the writing team do occasionally feel constrained by the very medium we're writing for. Uh, it's, it's the most natural writer's instinct to want to write a little bit more or a little bit more. And, you know, we're constrained in a literal sense by the size of the dialogue box. And we don't want to make people have to scroll or have to, you know, interrupt gameplay for too long with our pretty, pretty words. And so there's a natural tension there. And I think every once in a while, you know, we want to tell a little more story or a little more or throw in a few more details and there just isn't room. And we just have to lump that and, you know, put it on the wiki and hope someone else can pick up that thread later. Well, you guys can always throw it in a book later on, you know. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, we have taken up enough of your time. We appreciate all of you guys. We weren't expecting the three of you to come. That's fantastic. Appreciate you taking the time for us for this interview. The, the, The fans that we have are all fans of yours now. Literally, we've never gotten... A bad word. We've got nothing but compliments on the interview that we did with you guys, not you guys, but the LMS guys before. And everybody seems to want to eat up every single morsel of news they can about this. So this will be devoured, no doubt. So again, thank you very much for coming out. And this will be out for all of the fans tomorrow to listen to. That's terrific. And uh, I will whip my writers extra hard to get more lore out on our website and on other websites uh, because, you know, we all fundamentally like writing. We like sharing what we've come up with so far for Terra. And we'll see if we can't uh, get more of it out there where other people can enjoy it, too. Scott, any parting words? I am very happy to have the opportunity to chat with you guys. Anytime you want to chat with us, uh, get old Jason, you know, and, uh, and set up a time. Yeah, no, as more information is made available, that is something that we would love to do is get you a variety of different people, whether it's writers or devs to come on to talk about it, because I cannot express how excited we are about your project. It's really one of the it's when we're looking at the games that are coming out within the next year and some of them are heavy hitters, you're at the top of that list or, you know, within the top two or three. So we can't wait to be playing this or to to hear more about it. Afternoon, guys. Hey, how's it there going? he is. Well, did you miss me, Joe? A little bit. Aw. 
yesterday I was actually sick. So. <laughs> oh, boo hoo, cry me a fucking river. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, Vince, I'm going to give you a, a warning. Uh, if you have any intention on playing uh, the Witch Hunter DLC, you might want to do it before Monday, or when I go on my rant Monday, you might want to disappear for a while. Uh, I'm actually considering waiting since I've been finding out that the entire thing is freaking broken. <laughs> I mean, just stop it, both of you. I want to play this. Jesus. Freaking. All right. Um... <laughs> oh, man. Way to freaking be a killjoy. One thing that you folks should all be aware of is uh, I'm working from home today and uh, I have a five-year-old daughter upstairs <laughs> who, <laughs> who has been instructed to come down very quietly if she needs anything from me. But on the off chance she forgets, well, you know, <laughs> it might you, happen. You, uh, it's okay. You should listen to some of our prior episodes. We've had everything from kids to dogs to cats, everything. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's also on yesterday. And uh, yeah, dude, listen, I forgot to turn the cell phone off and I apologized. You're not going to let that go, are you? You don't make mistakes often <laughs> enough for me to let any of them go. See, if it was later in the evening, like we're used to recording, then you guys could all be sitting down having a drink with us, which is much more relaxing for everybody when we do our interviews. We don't know got a bottle of wine that. right here. We can make this happen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, it's, it's, it's more fitting to our podcast. <laughs> Granted, the only thing I've been having lately is Neo Citron, so. <laughs> All right, so you guys ready to go? Ready. All right. Stupid cork. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it feels like home. All right, now we're started. <laughs> <laughs>